Our gospel reading this morning comes from the 12th chapter of St. Luke. Jesus taught them, saying, Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give alms, make purses for yourselves that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed for action and have your lamps lit. Be like those who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that they may open the door for him as soon as he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will fasten his belt and have them sit down to eat, and he will come and serve them. If he comes during the middle of the night or near dawn and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. But know this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I'm going to tell a story, a joke that I really didn't want to tell, but Pastor Lori insists that I tell it, so I'm going to go ahead and share about long ago along the outer banks of uh, North Carolina. A captain and his crew were in danger of being boarded by a pirate ship. As as the crew became frantic, I mean terribly afraid, the captain yelled to his first mate, bring me my red shirt. And the first mate quickly brought him his red shirt, which he put on and led the crew to battle. The pirates, a battle that they won with great, great courage. Well, later that day, the lookout screamed that there were two pirate ships coming their way. The crew cowered in fear, but the captain, calm as ever, yelled out again, bring me my red shirt. And again, the battle was won. Later that night, the men sat around the deck. They were talking about the day's events. It was incredible when one of them looked to the captain and said, Sir, tell us, why did you call for your red shirt before each battle? And the captain said, Well, because if I'm wounded, the red shirt does not show the wound, and thus you men will continue to fight unafraid. The men sat in silence. They were just marveling at his courage. But as dawn approached, the lookout screamed that again there were pirate ships approaching, ten this time. The men became alert. They looked to the captain, their leader, for his usual command. The the captain, calm as ever, looked to the ten pirate ships. Then he looked to the men. Then he looked back to the ten pirate ships, and he yelled out, bring me my brown pants. Oh, my goodness gracious. Pastor Lori, that was for you. I'm, I'm just saying fear. Fear is a part of everyday life, isn't it? I mean, like it or not, it is, big or small. It's, the trouble is, of course, is we have to, in our everyday lives, figure out how to, how to, to deal with fear. Remember when you checked under your bed every night when you were five or six years old, or Debbie when you were 35 or 36 years old, maybe? Who remembers the TV show Dark Shadows? Yeah? A couple of people? Yeah, no one at the 927 service knew what I was talking about. But if you remember the Dark Shadows, uh, it, it made me afraid of thunderstorms for the rest of my life, I think, and anyone with light complexion and bright red lips. <laughs> 
If you're my age, you remember the, red, the, red, the big red scare. You remember um, nuclear drills in third grade. You remember Charles Manson from 1971. Fear. The thing is, you hope that fear will disappear the older you get, but like nightmares, it just doesn't. It, it just changes. These days, it's fear about the economy or inflation or the cost of gas or bread or eggs. It's fear of COVID or other disease. It's fear about global instability, China, Russia, Ukraine, cyber attacks, that brutal attack on Salman Rushdie just the other day. What does this world come to we fear? Then we fear about our kids, our kids' safety, about the influence of drugs and guns and worries over mental health, internal fears. What about those fears that, that I don't know, stuff you wrestle with on your own? worries, stress, anxieties, your own sense of identity, your future, whatever it might be, fear that will keep you up at night. Often, our instinct is to ignore it or to hide it or maybe just to push through it. But even then, our bodies won't let us. Our facial expressions betray our, our secret thoughts and our fears. Have you ever noticed that? And if you've ever had gut issues, you know, like upset stomachs or lack of appetite or irritable bowel syndrome, whatever it is, it's crazy how often it's the result of our anxieties and fears. Jonathan Haidt writes, <coughs> excuse me, Jonathan, <coughs> Jonathan Haidt writes that the gut brain has a high level of autonomy from our cognitive brain, which is why psychologists like to distinguish between mind and body, especially when we talk about things like fear. If left unchecked, you know this as well as I. It's so very true. Fear, it can affect every aspect of your life, from your emotions to your health to your relationships, from your job, family, your friends. All of those things are, are terribly sometimes affected by fear. And yet, the Bible says to us, do not be afraid. Do not fear. In fact, it's one of the most used phrases in Scripture. Some have said it's other, uttered 365 times, one for every day of the year. Do not fear. But come on, is disengaging our fear like flipping a switch? Uh, because if it was, when I was five years old, my goodness, I would have given anything to have an on-off switch next to my bed. But of course, there is no on-off switch, is there, in, in regards to our fear. Fear doesn't go away like that as much as we would like. It's a real part of our everyday lives and seems to be a particular problem today. Have you noticed? There seems to be so much fear, maybe anxiety, whatever it is that is just all around us out there. And so, as a result, we're going to spend the next three weeks talking about it, talking about fear. And let's begin with this great verse from Luke chapter 12. I'd love for you to open up again, if you will, in your bulletins or your Bibles today. By the way, for those who are following along, this is, this is the lectionary reading from last week, but because last week was confirmation, we used it this week. It's from Luke chapter 12, beautiful um, chapter of Jesus' teachings. People have gathered together to hear Him preach. And in verse 32, we hear this very memorable verse, do not fear, little flock, for the Father has given you the kingdom. I'd love for you to share that with me. You ready? Do not fear, little flock, for the Father has given you the kingdom. A great verse to memorize this week. Do not fear, little flock. Beautiful, lovely, so gentle. But let's look at the context. 
That's always important, isn't it? So, if you're reading in your Bible, this is a good time to jump back 20 verses to verse 12. And here's what's going on. Uh, a large crowd is gathered around Jesus. They've, again, been listening to Him teach and, and preach. Um, so, this crowd starts to hone in on Jesus and get closer and closer. Um, and the man in the crowd approaches Jesus directly and says to Him, probably in ear, earshot of everyone, he's, he's asking Jesus a very pointed question. He's obviously having an argument with his brother over money. And so, he says, Jesus, tell my brother to divide my inheritance. Now, we don't know anything about this guy, but I'm assuming that he's a younger brother to someone because in those days, fathers were expected to leave two-thirds of their inheritance to the older son, one-third to the younger. Maybe his brother was being unfair, or maybe he just thought the whole system was unfair. We, We don't know, and quite honestly, it doesn't really matter. What matters is what Jesus says. So, listen to what He says. He says this, who am I to stand as the arbiter between you and your brother? And then this advice, and this is good advice for all of us. He says this, guard yourself against the spirit that is always wanting more. Hear that again. Guard yourself against the spirit that is always wanting more. The message translation says this, Protect yourself against the least bit of greed, for life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. And then Jesus continues, stop worrying, therefore, about things that don't matter. Instead, seek first the kingdom of God, and everything else will be provided. That's why you have no need to be afraid, little flock, for the Father has given you the kingdom, and that means everything you need, the full inheritance, not a partial one. It's a beautiful advice, don't you think? Sure. The thing is, We're not told how the brother reacts. I'd love to know. I mean, did Jesus put his mind at ease and he walks off happy as can be? Or does he walk off frustrated, anxious, maybe even angry at Jesus' response, maybe afraid? We don't know. But how would you respond? Every Wednesday morning, our staff um, meets for prayer and a Bible study. And this past Wednesday, we looked at a great story that I have to tell you, a portion of the story that I had totally overlooked in all the many years that I've enjoyed reading through Genesis. It's a, about a time when Abraham and his servant, Eliezer, um, when a- Abraham asks his servant, Eliezer, to, to find a wife for his son, Isaac. When you read between the lines, you can see that Eliezer feels rather conflicted about the mission. Now, now keep this in mind. This is important. Remember this, this bit of the story. As you might recall, Isaac was Abraham's only son, and were Isaac not to marry and to have children, Abraham's full estate, every bit of it, would pass down to Eliezer, his servant, and to Eliezer's descendants. So, you see the problem, right? Or at least the challenge or the worry um, that all of a sudden this, this mission presents to Eliezer. I mean, that's the law. He understood it. He understood that he had the possibility of inheriting the whole thing, right? If Eliezer succeeds in his mission, however, bringing back a wife for Isaac, and and if the couple has children, then his chances of one day acquiring all of that wealth, Abraham's wealth and inheritance, it would disappear completely. What should he do? What will he do? Be loyal to Abraham or pursue his own ambitions? It's a struggle. 
Uh, it's a struggle that created a lot of anxiety for Eliezer. It's an internal conflict, a worry about his future, but also a question about his own identity. Sure, deep inside, he's asking himself, what shall I do? But really what he's asking is, what kind of person shall I be? The inner conflict creates a deep sense of fear for Eliezer and for all of us. What if I get it wrong, we ask ourselves. What if I've been wrong all along, we ask ourselves. My assumptions, my beliefs, what if that's all been wrong? What if others don't like the decision that I make? Now, some, when facing that kind of an inner conflict, they refuse to deal with it, afraid of what they might discover about themselves or about the world around them. Some transfer that fear into anger, lashing out at others in fits of rage, angry that the world doesn't look how they want it to look or, or, or need to look. We, we've seen a lot of that lately, it seems to me, anger that's rooted in fear. Eliezer, there's no doubt about it, he faces a serious inner conflict that Abraham knows nothing about. No one does, but Eliezer does. But instead of hiding it, instead of getting angry and lashing out or blaming others or standing in judgment over Abraham or anyone else, he stands before God in a single verse of Scripture that is so easy to overlook, and he says this, Lord, the God of my master Abraham, Send me and make me successful. Loyalty and faithfulness overcome his fear. And before he had even finished praying, and this is a wonderful part of the story, a beautiful young woman shows up. Her name is Rebecca, and we know Rebecca as the one who will become Isaac's wife. Together, indeed, they will have children, two sons, Esau and Jacob, who God will rename Israel, remember? But none of that will happen. None of that happens if Eliezer gives in to his fear. None of it. If Eliezer fails to trust in God's promise, don't be afraid, Jesus says, for the Father has given you the kingdom. Trust in His promise. There's a familiar story um, that Philip Yancey tells familiar because I've shared it with you couple times before, so forgive me if I feel or sound repetitive, but it's a great story of a young girl who grew up on a cherry orchard near Traverse City, Michigan. Her parents, uh, maybe a wee bit old-fashioned, they tend to overreact whenever she comes home with a nose ring and the music she listens to, oh my goodness gracious, they just got anxious and nervous every time they heard it. The clothes she started to wear, it just drove them crazy. They grounded her a few times, and she just began to seethe deep inside. I hate you, she would scream out occasionally until finally one day she just gave up. She had had enough, and she runs away. She hitches a ride to Detroit, 250 miles away. It's a classic story of a prodigal daughter who's wrestling with her own sense of identity. Who am I and who am I to become? Frustration, anger that the world was not allowing her to be what she wanted to be. Who knows who's at fault, by the way? Uh, her parents for being too strict, society that wanted her to conform, her own stubbornness that led to anger and broad assumptions about anything and everyone. Maybe a little bit of all the above, who knows? But you can predict the outcome, can't you? She gets tangled up in a heap of mess. 
She's surrounded by the wrong people. She's doing things that she never, ever imagined that she would do. Months pass by, a year, and now she's desperate. She's desperate to escape, uh, but assumes that her parents have forgotten about her, that, that, that they no longer care still. W- late one night, she dreams of her hometown, a million cherry blossoms covering the landscape, tears in her eyes. She calls three straight phone calls, three straight connections with the answering machine. She hangs up without leaving a message the first two um, times, but the third time she says this, Dad, Mom, it's me. I I was wondering about maybe coming home. I'm catching a bus up your way, and it'll get there about midnight tomorrow. If you're not there, well, I I guess I'll just stay on the bus and keep on riding. It takes about seven hours for the journey from Detroit to Traverse City, but it felt like a lifetime. Deep down, she knew they wouldn't come. She just knew it, but she also knew she had no choice. As the bus pulled into the terminal, she pulls her bag out from the upper compartment and slowly steps off the bus. All was so quiet, eerily quiet. Tears sort of appear. She's a Afraid all of a sudden, reality was sinking in, feeling so alone. Until she turned the corner and she sees something that she never imagined. There before her, a group of, fam- of 40 family members, brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, cousins, grandparents, they're all wearing goofy party hats and blowing noisemakers. T- and taped across the entire wall of the terminal is a banner that reads, Welcome home. Out of the crowd breaks her dad. Before she can say a word, she sees his strong arms open wide. She sinks into his embrace. And for the first time in years, her fear gives way to grace. Do not be afraid, Jesus says. To you, to you, to all of us. Do not be afraid, for the Father has given you the kingdom. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we come to you today with so much within us and around us, worries, fears, anxieties, our own baggage of what we bring into this place, so much fear, some big for, for some, and maybe some that's just a tiny little bit of fear, but nevertheless, Lord, what we are hoping for is that we will learn to trust You. Lord, we confess to You that sometimes our eyes do not understand what You have placed before us. We do not know or feel that we can even comprehend the blessings that You've surrounded us. Lord, when our eyes don't see, help us to nevertheless trust Your voice. Oh, may our faith, Lord, rise up within us. May we see you as a God we can trust. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.